my name is Wes, and this is my wife, Angie, and uh, you know, really just to sum it up with one word, we're grateful to share with you the, the work that the Lord's done in our marriage um, to restore and redeem that which was broken. Um, if you're here broken and lost tonight as we were our first night, uh, we pray for you. We pray that you leave with the renewed sense of hope for your marriage, knowing that God loves you and is the one who can make all things new. Um, so our story. I was born in Dallas, and I've spent most of my life in this area. Uh, my childhood was filled with a great deal of strife and dysfunction. Uh, my father was abusive towards my mom while she was pregnant with me, and they separated before I was born. Uh, and he kind of disappeared. He was never really a part of my life at that time. Uh, my mom remarried when I was two to a man who adopted me. I grew up for many years believing that he was my biological father. Um, and he and my mom divorced when I was 12, and his presence faded from my life. Uh, around that time, I learned about and was introduced to my real biological father. So I was 12 years old when I met my dad. And it didn't take long to see the hard life that he had lived uh, and see how he was unable to take control of a lot of the addictions that ruled so much of his life. Um, he didn't prove to be a consistent role model for me. Uh, but my, thankfully, my mom and my grandparents, on the other hand, made it a priority for me to be involved in church. Uh, they made sure I knew about God and my need for a savior. And so around the age of 10, I accepted Christ. Um, while I accepted him as my savior, uh, I failed to develop a personal relationship with him or fully surrendered to him as my Lord. Um, not long after that, around the time I was 11 or 12, an older friend introduced me to pornography, um, which this discovery caused my thoughts to become consumed uh, by sexual fantasy and changed how I looked at and thought about women for many years. I was raised in a small town and my universe revolved around family, church, and friends I had known since elementary school. I was pretty sheltered. I attended church all of my life and knew the Bible well. I accepted Christ and was baptized at a young age, but my view of God was very rule-based and I didn't understand His grace or His love for me. I found myself striving for perfection and knowing all the right things to do helped me feel more confident. But even while following rules, I always felt insecure in my worth, probably because I always messed up. And this really played out in my view of physical appearance as I never felt skinny enough, pretty enough, and so on. My affection for order and compliance made school a place where I could easily find success, so I threw myself into academics and clubs to achieve recognition. Angie and I started dating our sophomore year in high school. I think we have a throwback picture. <laughs> It's a good Sears portrait. <laughs> I'm wearing a banana clip. I like people to know that for some yeah. reason. <laughs> uh, while we were both good students and we possessed good work ethic, we quickly became distracted by what we thought was love. Uh, my infatuation with sex proved to be much stronger than any religious conviction to remain pure. And after several months of dating, we became sexually active. Uh, as a teenager, I had pretty much the unbridled freedom to do anything I wanted whenever I wanted. Uh, and Angie ended up being my primary source of rules and my fun <laughs> squasher. Yeah. My insecurities wouldn't allow Wes to have fun without me, and I had a curfew. So, <laughs> although we were both continually convicted of our sexual sin, we didn't reach out for help, and we never made progress to overcome it. Church became a place of shame, and I never opened my Bible for help. After all, I knew what was right and wrong, so I really saw no point. I didn't trust Wes at all, and my only form of comfort when he was out of my sight was attempt, an attempt to control him in every way possible. I honestly thought I was being helpful. 
Uh, in reality, our relationship uh, did keep me from a number of unhealthy, unhealthy behaviors, uh, but we had become idols for one another. Being together became the most important thing, uh, and we spent every minute together outside of school, including working several part-time jobs together. As we began our first semester in college, uh, I applied for my first full-time job. Uh, little did I know how bad I would need that job a few months later when we learned Angie was pregnant. Uh, we married and we had our son a few months after that. Uh, I went to work, working as many hours as I could each week, and Angie went to school. I enjoyed my job and liked being around the people I worked with. I was good at it and I quickly found satisfaction, or more satisfaction in work than I did at home. Uh, I failed to be the husband and the father I should have been from the very start. Wes handled our unexpected pregnancy very well, but I was dying inside. Instead of the good girl with a bright academic future, I was now the sinner who got knocked up. My life as I knew it was over and shame and fear consumed me. I had very specific plans for my future that did not include children. I remained a full-time college student and worked part-time while my mom watched our son so Wes and I could continue to strive for professional success. When our son was almost three, we decided to have another child and we were blessed with our daughter. I'm happy to say that I did fall in love with motherhood, but the kids quickly became my primary objects of affection and attention. After graduating college, I began my career and immediately felt like my life was full again, as I excelled at my new job and had community with several others my age. The loneliness of those college years was behind me and life was good, at least as good as I knew it could be. Wes and I still had issues, but the kids brought me a lot of joy at home, even if he would never be the man I was still trying to force him to become. Angie insisted our family attend church regularly. Uh, we were there every Sunday morning and evening and Wednesday night. And as our kids grew, we became uh, as involved in their activities as we possibly could. I continued to enjoy success at work and allowed my satisfaction from the success to fill voids that developed in our relationship. On the outside, we did all we could to appear to be the perfect family, but the truth is that we were distant from one another. Uh, my appetite for pornography grew as Angie failed to meet many of the expectations I placed on her. I justified my behavior by focusing on what Angie was or wasn't doing. My addiction created a recurring cycle of getting caught looking at something I shouldn't, along with many half-hearted confessions and promises to stop, only to be drawn back in by the allure of escape from the real-world issues. An emptiness developed within me, and though we were heavenly involved in church, I never turned to the only one in whom true satisfaction and contentment is found, Jesus Christ. This pattern of breaking trust with Angie pushed her further and further away, creating a large chasm between us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The more Angie tried to control me, the further I withdrew, failing to love and lead my family in the most important ways. I didn't see the effort as worth the conflict I would have expected would accompany any decision I made, so I stopped leading almost entirely. While we had a loving church family and so many good friends, we lacked authentic community where we felt safe to share what was really going on in our lives. When we did open up and share some of our struggles, those that loved us were not well equipped to support us, although they tried. Wes's continual betrayal of my trust shattered my self-worth each time something was discovered and I lived as a full-time investigator. You see, I had placed the same unrealistic expectation of perfection on Wes I had put on myself. When he fell short, grace was never my response. 
I was prideful and self-righteous and spoke disrespectfully about Wes to anyone who would listen and provide me sympathy. Anger and resentment grew, and eventually I felt nothing at all for Wes. I knew divorce was wrong, and I didn't want that for the kids, but I spent years brainstorming ways to end the marriage and still come out on the other side as the good spouse. I felt that our marriage problems were all of his fault. In the midst of this season, my sister-in-law sent me a sermon on Ephesians 5 that painted a clear picture of how God expects me to love Angie. As, as a result, I experienced a renewed desire to improve our relationship. I worked to please her through acts of service, knowing that was her primary love language, but my efforts seemed to fall flat. I soon resorted back to selfishness and pornography to satisfy my flesh. That year, Angie and I both came to the point where we were done trying to improve our marriage. We set our kids, ages 14 and 10 at the time, down to tell them we were getting divorced. Angie sent an email to their youth ministers and several parents of their close friends to let them know what was going on, asking them to care for and love on our kids. One of those parents reached out to me and told me about a program called Reengage. Uh, he recommended we give it a try. So just a few days later, we were right here where you're sitting tonight. I remember listening to the testimony and being astonished at the topics that were being openly discussed, free from shame and guilt. I immediately felt as if there was hope for our marriage. I hoped Reengage would change Wes and he would finally become the man I wanted him to be. Throughout our marriage, we had spent years in counseling, attending marriage seminars, talking to family and friends, and reading marriage books, but nothing caused lasting change in our relationship. I too was shocked at the transparency of the couple on stage and thought that will certainly never be us. One, yeah. One of the advantages of coming to Watermark to attend Reengage, we thought, is that we wouldn't know anyone here who would learn about the disaster our marriage had become. As we moved into newcomers group the first night, we were shocked to see the wife leading the discussion was one of our son's teachers at his elementary school. <laughs> I was mortified to think I would be sharing anything about my marriage in front of her. She and her husband appeared to have it all together. As we listened to their testimony, my heart began pounding so hard it could have burst. Every word she spoke was familiar, and worst of all, I felt as if she was exposing my deepest secrets. I worried Wes would notice the similarities in our circumstances and realize what I had been doing. In my pursuit of perfection, I had become a master liar to hide my own sin. I was in the middle of a long-term affair with a coworker that began shortly after I started my career and had continued on and off since. I would manage to end it at one point for several years, but I never shared this secret with anyone for accountability. I would go right back to him when things at home were bad again. Ironically, I was first attracted to this man because of how well he knew the Bible and the discussions we would have about religious doctrine. I soon found comfort in the attention from the other man and believed that we loved each other. He was the only one who knew how far I was from God, how desperate I was to control Wes, and I gave him 100% of my vulnerability. He became my new idol, and I was willing to do unimaginable things to keep my secrets hidden, including having two abortions. After the first abortion, I completely shut God out of my life, both for fear that he would expose my sin and also because I felt these sins were unforgivable. I was not listening to the spirit of truth, but was listening to Satan, the father of lies. Let me pause here for a second and just speak really clearly. Scripture tells us in several places that there are no unforgivable sins or unforgivable people. Romans 8, 1 and 2 states, 
Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. During this time, I battled cancer and never prayed for healing. Although I would still pray with the kids as I tucked them in, not once did I pray on my own or for what was really going on in my life. My loneliness was overwhelming, and I had no joy or hope. After our first night at Reengage, once again, I felt committed to ending the affair, but just like before, I didn't follow through. After hearing all that God did for other broken marriages, I surrendered entirely to God, asking him to save our marriage. On the following Monday, after we first attended Reengage, I discovered Angie's affair. Uh, the next few days were a blur as I learned about all that had been going on. I'm certain that in these moments, God was using what I had experienced at Reengage the previous week to speak to me. Now, when we speak of this timeline, we're certain and we state that it happened in God's perfect timing, but that was not what we were feeling at the time. Uh, I remember God hates divorce, and he had shown me how, much, how the most broken of marriages can be restored. As much as I hurt and as terrible as our marriage was, I knew that God was working in both of us. The sequence of events over the previous month or so pointed to God's love for us. He brought us to the point in time where both of our sinful behaviors were laid bare and our hearts were softened just enough towards one another at the same moment to think reconciliation may be possible. Two days after discovering the affair, we were back at Reengage, entering in a, different, in a much different state of mind than the week before. Uh, that night, we shared what was going on in our marriage uh, with re-engaged newcomer leaders, our son's teacher. Uh, they assured us that we were not alone. They reminded us of God's love for us and showed us what the first steps forward looked like. They gave us the book Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. The premise of this book is what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Uh, these truths were pivotal in shifting our thinking, allowing us to see our individual fa failures in our marriage. We learned what drawing the circle around ourselves looks like. Uh, it's difficult to adequately express the blessings we receive from our experience and re-engage. God wrapped his arms around us from the moment we walked in the door. He surrounded us with people who understood where we were and loved us well. They spoke truth to us and encouraged us to pursue Christ. They reassured us while the path to forgiveness and obedience may not be the easiest one, the efforts would be worth the reward. They lovingly walked us through resolving conflict. While we initially questioned how we would connect with other couples in our closed group when we got placed, we quickly developed close friendships of members as members of the group began vulnerably sharing their experiences. God showed us that none of us were without sin, hurt, and some degree of conflict. We were blessed by these couples and leaders at a critical moment on our road to reconciliation. As I, as I shared my sin struggles, with re-engage and my close friends, lines of accountability, accountability were developed. As odd as this may sound, that Monday when my deepest secrets were revealed is one of the best days of my life, the day I celebrate every year. Psalm 32, 3 and 5 perfectly describes my situation. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Bones wasting away through my groaning all day is such an accurate portrayal of how I ache during my long season of isolation. 
I had committed unthinkable offenses against God and those who love me, and I will always regret the pain my choices have caused them. But for the first time in years, I spoke to God again, and he was faithful. I asked him to forgive me for not living my life in a way that honored him, and the real me was presented to the world for the first time, broken, disgraced, and void of any form of self-righteousness. Fully surrendering to Christ was life-changing. I had known since I was a child Christ gave his life and rose again so that I would be forgiven for all the mistakes I would ever make, but I was trying to earn my salvation. I had to trust the Lord's mercy is all I need because my efforts to be good are worthless compared to Christ's sacrifice. I finally set aside my pride and owned up to my failures, and the forgiveness I received from Wes and others was humbling. Receiving this grace softened my heart to extend forgiveness to Wes and release years of resentment. Honoring my husband is one way I've learned to show my love and obedience to God. I'm thankful to say I've never been more in love with Wes, and not the kind of love I had looked for previously, but a sacrificial love that brings peace beyond measure, as my affection for Wes is not determined by how he treats me, but how Jesus loves me. We failed miserably to show our kids what a godly marriage looked like for many years, but thankfully our kids have witnessed the transformation in our marriage to one that is Christ-centered and full of grace. There's a picture of the four of us there. A little different than the Sears portrait. <laughs> As we progressed through re-engage, we began to move closer toward God and to one another. Um, God used the hurt and pain I was going through to draw me, really both of us, into deeper relationships with Him. Uh, we found the only place uh, where we were guaranteed to find peace and hope was in Him. Uh, a thirst for His Word developed in me that following year, and I read through the entire Bible for the first time. Uh, I turned to God consistently in prayer, and I sought out and read books on godly wisdom. Uh, Angie and I finished reengaging in a much better place than where we began, uh, but we were nowhere close to being healed. We were armed with principles we needed to continue on our road to healing and restoration. Knowing that God loves us and had forgiven us for all of the sins we had committed created a foundation for us to rebuild our marriage. When it seemed impossible to forgive Angie, I was reminded of how God loves and forgives me for all the sin in my life. Uh, Reengage family and our church community showed me what it looks like to extend that same love and forgiveness to Angie. Our marriage story of redemption begins and ends with one name, Jesus. He's the reason we're doing what people would consider absurd, sitting on this story, on this stage, telling you about the wreck of a marriage we had. But now we're able to say how God transformed our mess into a beautiful story of grace and joy. After years of trying to live a perfect life and experiencing great shame from constant failure, I now have such peace in the acceptance of God's grace and the freedom to be real with others. I'm learning how to let go of my desire to control others and follow Wes's lead, and he leads me well as he relies on Christ to guide him. Wes and I have a passion for marriages, and we know firsthand that Satan has no better weapon against the church than to destroy the families of God's people. Living a transparent life in community with others who are authentic in their daily walk has opened the door for dozens of conversations with individuals and marriages who are hurting and we pray that our story can give, you, um, sorry, can give you hope by pointing to Jesus. We've learned the truth of 1 John 1.7, which states, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
Our marriage is now one of our greatest blessings as we do, we truly enjoy our time together. We've had a much, we have, while we have a much healthier relationship now, um, the truth is when we fail to pursue Christ daily, it's very easier for us to return to our sinful nature. Uh, we can become selfish and bitter, prone to anger and controlling. Uh, Romans 8, 5 and 6 is always a go-to for me. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, we must remain committed to our pursuit of oneness by keeping our mind set on the Spirit. We often say we've been married 26 years, and it's been the best 11 years of our lives. Um, <laughs> what are you waiting for to start the best years of your marriage? God's here, and he's ready to radically transform your marriage into everything he designed it to be. Um, and he will begin to do so uh, when, you begin to take, when you take the first step by drawing the circle around yourself and working on everyone in the circle. This is a place where God's people will lean in and walk with you through the hurt, you, the hurt that has been done to you and the pain you've caused others. If you haven't already found another couple to be authentic with, let tonight be the night you invite someone in. Thank you very much.